0: Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate. The podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry.
1: The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table
0: to eat, drink and innovate.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode 8 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. Today I'm talking with Ashley Whitaker. She's the founder of Snack Proud, a workplace snacking service designed to improve employee well-being, productivity and morale through healthier snack choices. In this episode, you'll hear how Ashley uncovered an opportunity when working as a customer experience designer in a large corporate bank she noticed that many of her fellow employees were reluctantly eating the biscuits and chocolates in the office kitchen to fuel themselves up and just get through the working day. Now, rather than resigning herself to a similar fate, Ashley went out and found a selection of unique and healthy locally produced snacks that are not usually found in major grocery stores and stocked the office kitchen herself with a box of healthy snacks. This moment of inspiration went on to fuel a whole new business for Ashley called Snack Proud. Its ambition is to improve employee productivity and well-being by creating a workplace snacking service that provides more nutritious snack options. Snack Proud now offers multi-sized snack boxes, snacking programs and full corporate kitchen support direct to offices and faculty managers so that their employees can actually feel proud of their snack choices. Plus, in today's episode, you'll learn about the power of prototyping and how to do this for your own business to test new opportunities quickly, easily, and most importantly, cost effectively. Welcome to the show, Ashley.
0: Thank you so much. It's great to be on here.
1: Now, let's start off for our listeners who might not know much about Snack Proud. Just tell us a little bit about what you do and what the business is about.
0: Sure, on no a problem. So I'm the founder of Snack Proud. I started the business uh, about two years ago and Snack Proud is all about bringing um, healthy snacks to the workplace. So I really want to create new channels for innovative products and make them convenient, affordable and fun.
1: I always like to find out from business founders, what were they doing before they started their business? So can you take us back in time? What were you doing before you started Snack Proud and what made you think about starting up this business?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, it's quite quite the story, really. Um, so, I you might be able to tell. I'm from New Zealand, um, and I've moved to Sydney about three and a quarter years ago. So, back in New Zealand, I had my own health food brand called Jim um, Escape Meals. So, they were New Zealand's first range of gluten and dairy frozen meals. So, I kind of got into that business at 21, 22, and ended up getting into supermarkets. As this person, straight out of graphic design, so I knew nothing about what I was doing, and it was very hard doing that channel. So through that experience, I connected with a lot of other health food brands and just saw the real need to create innovative new channels because dealing with the supermarket as a small supplier is just so hard, and you've got no control, and you're, you're always beating down on price and all of this, and so... But because I had a frozen product, I just couldn't really do much in channel innovation because you just have the whole frozen supply chain. So anyway, fast forward from that, I sold that business and moved to Australia. But actually my corporate, I guess my corporate experience job is actually um, UX, UI design for like mobile app design. And so I moved to Australia and started working for a tech startup here for about a year. And then the next year I went to Macquarie Bank and I was working as their mobile app designer. And then going into corporate, I was just seeing like how much they were spending on things like earnest creams and Tintams which add no value to a person's day and really just seeing corporate office workers who, you know, getting paid a lot of money, these really smart people getting stuck at three o'clock and then having to just You know, I would see people having salads for lunch and then getting stuck later in the day and um, taking like five orange creams back to their desk just because there's nothing else to eat at that time of the day. So that was kind of where the idea came from. And I think the real moment for me when I decided to like try and do something about that was I think I'd gone to the Naturally Good Expo in 2016 and I was just like, I just like love going to the trade shows. It's like Christmas for me. And um, I saw all these awesome products. And everyone just wanted distribution. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, what if I just started, like, maybe trying to bring those into the workplace where I was working? So I got some cards of some brands, snack brands that I liked. And then I emailed my manager at Macquarie the next day, and I said, would you mind if I start just selling some snacks in the kitchen to the staff? Um, I just want to have some healthier options available. And I got approval to do that. So, like, in the building that I was working in, down in Brand Guru, there was levels and so I just was just doing it in my floor. And so I just set up this little snack station and yeah, started selling the snacks.
1: So Ashley, you've clearly identified an opportunity based on your own need. You wanted to eat healthy snacks while you were working at Macquarie Bank as a UX designer. How did your first foray into selling those snacks go?
0: It was going all good. It was quite hard because like I would like it's hard when you've got health food products and they're quite expensive. And then like I had like a different changing menu all the time that so I always have to keep the menu up to date with pricing. And then people wouldn't have cash in that denomination. And so I was trying to look at, you know, cash-free ways to take payment. And then I tried, got them on a couple of other floors in the building because I got managed, um, like approval from other managers. And I was trying to run these little snack stations within the um, office. And I spent half my time like just <laughs> not doing my job and like running around refilling snack boxes.
1: And it sounds like you were on a pretty good gig there, Ashley. I mean you had a really interesting role, nice corporate salary. Why didn't you just give up at that stage and think, you know what this snacking thing's all a bit hard. Why do you feel like you might have persevered?
0: i've I've kind of always been quite entrepreneurial um, and like always had like little weird side hustles like I went through a phase of like making laser cut clocks and selling them at markets and I nearly started a frozen yogurt business. With my parents, once. like, I've always had like little projects. When I was at uni, I started freelancing as a designer, you know, during my study, just to, um, as a, as a way to have a side job. And I think at that point in time, I kind of learned the whole like hourly like value for money and just working for yourself. So, um, and I my first year out of uni, I think I had like a two day a week stable job, and then I freelance for the rest of the time. So I've kind of always done my own thing. I think that's what I struggle with even at Macquarie, even though I love my job, kind of, you're just behind a desk most of the time, and it's good for part of it, my day, but I'd like to sort of be able to do and contribute more, more strategy, more, you know, building opportunities, all of that sort of stuff. And when you
1: first were in, so you're in Macquarie Bank, you're working in the digital department, but you've decided, I'm going to bring in all these fabulous snacks I've found at this expo or my previous contacts. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of snacks you thought would be right. How did you kind of make that decision?
0: Like I kind of feel like those first few months were just getting in all the different snacks I could find and then trialing them out on different floors and seeing what moved the best. And then I could start to refine and sort of learn about habits from there. And what I kind of found was really interesting, for example, like my floor, digital, like digital people weren't very healthy. So I had really slow uptake on the snack sales on my floor, but I put them on business banking down on level three and they just smashed them. Really, it was just really trial and error. And still to this day, like there's really, there's definitely been some obvious trends that have come out, but like it really varies between offices. And that's kind of one of the challenges with the business and doing snack boxes because I'll plan a core range or plan a range and then say this office here is loving lighter broccoli chips but this office here is like not loving them and you're like oh my god like (laughs) i thought that was the winner
1: and speaking of winners ashley can you give us some examples of maybe some of the snacks that are healthy and nutritious that we might find in the snack proud snack boxes and and maybe also explain what sort of snacks are you looking for to include in those boxes
0: Oh, yeah, sure. So I do things like grass-fed Australian beef jerky, which is probably one of the most, definitely the most popular snack. Um, Things like veggie chips, broccoli chips, spicy peas, protein balls, protein bars, little crackers, like really just looking for portion control options as well like um, organic corn chips, seaweed snacks, um, little trail mix. So I'm always trying to find new options. But as time goes on, I am starting to also refine down my range as well because I started doing drinks. It's just like the more SKUs I have, it's just a lot more inventory to manage and just from a cash flow, keeping everything in stock and it, like it's expensive. <laughs>
1: and how were you buying those products? Where were you getting those from? Were you having to buy big orders and store them at your home?
0: I definitely got wholesale pricing quite easily because I think you ask any food brand and they want a new channel for their product so not not at all hard to get buy in from the brands um, but in terms of storage that was definitely challenging um, because like I live in the tiniest apartment in the world um, in Sydney um, so I couldn't store them at home really like I had a few things at home so what I was just kind of doing is I made friends with the mailroom people at Macquarie and was just like can I order my snacks and you just leave them here and let's not tell anyone about that. And and then I kind of found another cupboard in Level 7 at Macquarie and I was just kind of hiding them um, there and I maybe took three people's lockers as well.
1: I can just imagine you stashing your snacks away in
0: these cupboards. I was.
1: And how long did this storage solution last for?
0: I did that. But it kind of means that was, like, really unscalable. Like, I could only really do that in Macquarie.
1: That's what exactly what I was going to ask. What was the point when you went, this is kind of working, there's something interesting here, I should do more of this. How did you make that next leap?
0: Well, I wanted to test it in a couple more offices first because I was working and trialing it in Macquarie. I tried to start selling it and getting meetings with other banks in the area and, like thing is, trying to sell them to a large enterprise is so hard because they've got global procurement officers who have two-year contracts, and so you just can't do anything. Like, till this day, never, I never was able to sell them into Macquarie, even though they were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on Arnott's Creams. So then I tried to get some, like, I think I did a sample with um, CBA's Business Banking and Citibank, and so essentially I was just, like, ordering these, like, you know, those wooden crates, I, like, ordered 21 of them. And so once again, storing them in the Macquarie mailroom and packed them after hours and then or at my lunch break <laughs> and then just, like, walked them up the road myself. But it was, yeah, like I say, really unscalable. So then I needed to find a new way to display display them and ship them. And so I got a shipper designed or display box, which is kind of like those, more like those charity boxes with the coin slots in them. I got one designed um, by a point-of-sale company in Moorbank They got them all printed and, like, they designed them and manufactured them. And like, well, if you want, you can just store them here and we can pack them for you. So they kind of started off doing my packing and distribution because they had a big TNT account. And so I kind of just leveraged their shipping.
1: Fantastic. What a nice partnership. And did you have the name at that point? I mean, you're a designer. Did you design your own name and graphics?
0: I design the name. I think because in the early days, I kind of thought it might be like a charity sort of initiative. So that's kind of where it's like making, snacking a proud habit because you're like, you know, making a healthy choice for yourself. But, you know, you might be giving back to the community at the same time. That was kind of where Snack Proud came from. Um, In terms of graphics, I think I did a first logo concept, but I didn't love it. I studied graphic design and my major was actually packaging design, but pretty much I've always worked in digital. So I'm not like super strong in branding anymore. Um, and so I found a designer, um, a really good designer, actually in Brazil who I work with. And so he sort of did a, a brand refresh for me. And really at that point in time, it was like I was working full time in my job and I was earning a decent rate. So like I was like, it's actually more cost effective for me to keep working full time and just like outsource some tasks that I don't have time to do.
1: So let's go through this. So you've got your design, you've got this great distributor who's done the point of sale units and they're packing for you, which is helping you with storage as well. What then? It feels like you're starting to get a really tangible business model going. What was the next step for you?
0: Well, I think the sales are hard, right? It's not like you're selling into a retailer who has a buyer and who like expects to be sold to, you know, you're trying to, Get in touch with HR managers or EAs or PAS or receptionists or whoever, and trying to convince them that they need to buy snacks from you. You know, so and it's like generally, even if they're kind of interested, in terms of their busy day running the office, kind of like pretty low down their priority list. So, sales is definitely the hardest part of this. Um, but like when you get a good contract, it's quite high value because. It's repeat, generally like repeat business. At the start, I was just doing snack boxes, like sort of like subscription snack boxes, um, I guess kind of like the fruit box model, but some companies did do charge back where they get their staff to contribute, um, you know, the gold coin donation or whatever. Um, but then some companies have snacking programs where it's like a sort of outsourced managed service. and. I think in the early days, I almost gave up. I remember when my brother came over from New Zealand to stay with me, and I think I just had a meltdown that weekend. I was like, "What am I doing?" I was so stressed because I was trying to do this on the side while working full time. You know, it took so long to convert a company to buy you like 150 dollars worth of snacks. I'm like, "What is the point of this?" You know, like so I I gave up for like a month, and then I think when I decided to keep going was essentially this customer that I've you know been working on for ages. They finally came over the line, and I was just like, "Oh, look." I'm working full time. I'll just service them just as a bit of side money. If anyone else orders, all my boxes are in the in the warehouse and bank. are will just facilitate orders and send them out, and it can just be like a side gig.
1: It's time for a quick break now, but do stick around and find out why Ashley, despite her very best intentions, was unable to keep Snack Proud as just a side gig. Music. Hi, everyone. Just a quick thanks to today's sponsor, who helped make this podcast possible. It's the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. And this month, they'd like to invite you to their upcoming industry event. It's a symposium called Turning Food Waste into Revenue. Now, this event will feature an international panel of key thought leaders who will bring you the latest in science and research and technology to help your business turn food waste into revenue. It's on Thursday the 19th of July 2018 from 8am to 12.30pm and it will be held at the Monash Food Incubator Centre. That's at Monash University, Clayton, Victoria. It's time to rethink your future and find out how to reduce, reuse and recycle in a way that's good for your business and good for the planet. You can get your tickets to the Turning Food Waste into Revenue Symposium via Try Bookings or at www.foodinnovationcentre.com.au by clicking the events tab. I'm definitely going, so I hope to see you there. Welcome back. I'm Susie White, and you're listening to Episode 8 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. I'm talking with Ashley Whitaker today, and she's the founder of Snack Proud, a startup business that distributes healthy snack boxes into workplaces. Now, Ashley was on the verge of giving up. Her access into offices with her snack boxes was being blocked by procurement regulations and existing long-term supplier contracts, and sometimes just buyer apathy. I mean, organising the office snacks was often an unwanted task on someone's already overwhelming work list. But a ray of hope emerged in that last customer that Ashley agreed to supply to, I asked her how that customer and their needs reignited a business opportunity.
0: But essentially I got that customer. They are in a high-rise building and they are getting full kitchen supplies for 100 staff and Woolworths deliver it to their loading dock. So the office manager has to go down, bring it all up in a trolley, put it all out on shelf, probably in a couple of loads. Like It takes her like an hour and a half to do that a couple of times a week. And she just doesn't want to do that. Essentially, she wanted merchandising in the office, a service where we would bring all the snacks and put it out on the shelves, keep it tidy, and do all the rotations and stuff. And they had a pretty decent budget. She's like, can you do this? And I was like, I don't know, but yes, I'll say yes. And um, so I just put it on Asker for like a shelf stocker. And I found a driver, so he would pick up all the snacks from um, the warehouse and take them into the office and put them out on shelves. shelf. And so I worked with him as my merchandiser. Yeah, and then I got a few more big accounts. Like I got LinkedIn as a customer um, and Mealsoft and a few more tech companies. And at that point, I guess I thought maybe then I had something, you know, because these customers actually had decent weekly budgets. Like most of my revenue now comes from those accounts, not Snapboxes where I'm sort of managing their full pantry program.
1: So was this happy days, Ashley? You had some successful customers. You now had a revised business model. How was your supply chain holding up? Was that supplier who had printed and packed your snack boxes, were they able to keep up with the demand?
0: So from a logistics perspective, that was becoming an absolute nightmare with that company that I was working with in Moorbank because they, they that wasn't their job to do this. They were busy with their own business. I was starting to move quite a decent amount of product. These customers kind of wanted custom orders and so it wasn't very streamlined and like I never knew what was in stock because I didn't have an inventory management software set up and we were trying to use Google Spreadsheets and it was just, it just got very hard. So I kind of knew that I had to move from them.
1: So what did you do then, Ashley? How did you scale up?
0: So I quit my job because I got into the Slingshot Business Incubator and at full times. So it was a good experience, I think I needed that to have some sort of structure, some coaching. They took a 10% investment in the business and they gave you 50K seed investment. So that gave me a bit of cash flow to you know, buy up some more stock but also just do all the stuff that you put off as a startup like, like legal papers done, trademarks, all of that stuff. And then at the end of that, like I did a distribution deal with a company called iFresh Corporate. So they have 300 plus corporate fruit boxes for offices. Um, so I moved all my warehousing to them, and now they've set up like a full packing line for Snack Crowd in their warehouse. And they have dedicated driving fleets, so we don't have to use careers anymore. And they pay swipe card access into all the corporates, so they can like now distribute my product. And it's a lot more scalable for me. It means I'm sacrificing the margin, but it's, it's it's totally worth it.
1: So it sounds like that was a real turning point for you, Ashley, where you committed to working full time on your business. Your supply chain and distribution had been scaled up. You had a new customer model. So, what are you working on now?
0: I've, I'm actually I've actually just sort of finishing the mobile payment app because, like, one of the things that's been hard with the cash payment into the snack boxes. It means I kind of have to sell everything for a cash denomination of like two or two fifties and people just don't carry cash these days. So essentially I essentially have to find a barcode scanning app. They download the snack crowd snack app and then I can scan the barcode of the snack at the credit card details once and check out and pay and then rate their snacks. So it's nearly finished. We're just trying to get onto the app and Google Play stores.
1: And you're calling that, I saw on your website, you're calling that the digital honesty box. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Sort of like an honesty market concept, which is quite big in the US. And then it enables people to pay themselves. Like at Macquarie, I was designing a banking app. Um, and I just couldn't find any way for people to pay on their own without someone actually making the transaction. And so that's why I kind of felt like we needed to create my own opportunity. Like even with things like Square or those square, little Square readers, you kind of still need to input the payment price or you have to have streamlined like pricing. Like everything has to be the same price. Or otherwise, you needed like an iPad to set up next to it, with like a little pointer display, and you need to keep that pointer display thing or the you know the, the tap device charged. So there's all these sort of like little things that you might not think of that just become a little bit more admin, and that's what the corporates don't want, whoever I'm selling into, like the HR manager, they don't want to be responsible for collecting cash across, you know, eight floors and then having to go and bank it.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can appreciate that. And who has cash anymore? No one has cash on them. Was that easy for you to go, I'm just now going to create a software app? And would that overcome your biggest challenge as you were saying, like, dealing with procurement, getting contracts, being a proof supplier, all of that? Does that does that kind of disappear then?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably because of my background that I did that. Um, just So I designed it myself. And then one of those Macquarie developers, um, I got him to build it. So what I wanted to do is test a business model where we just put the snack boxes in offices. We don't charge the corporate anything. We just run it like an honesty vending machine type solution. So we sell direct to their staff. All we need to do is put the snack box there, and hope, just hopefully with their approval. And they don't have to um, fund anything.
1: I mean, it really sounds like a brilliant banking app, Ashley. And I'm wondering... Are there any areas of it that you're concerned about? I mean, what if people aren't honest enough to use the honesty box?
0: We are the ones up for theft or people not paying. You know, is that still worth it? You know, even if we have like, I don't know, a 10% theft rate or we're gonna have to find out at what point do we, you know, say, actually we're gonna remove this box from the site because it's not working. And and that's that's, that's a whole trial and error thing. But at the same time, we'll probably be able to sell the snack like more at a retail price point to the corporate. Then we've kind of got a bigger margin to work with. So if we do have a bit of theft, it's just about kind of managing all that.
1: And Ashley, if I was the owner of a very trustworthy business and approaching you for the first time, what are some of the product bundles that I could get access to through the Snack Proud offer?
0: Yeah, sure. So we've got like the full pantry management and, that, and we're typically in that scenario I would go and meet with the company, the office manager and um, look at what they're getting in the office now, if anything, um, what the actual layout of their kitchen is, if they've got a budget, their staff size and all of that thing and then they make, make sort of a recommendation on a, pro- a pantry program that suits sort of their needs and health and they want restocking and all of that. Then otherwise companies will get like a snack box and they might get one, like some get them every week or month or fortnight and they'll either offer it as a benefit for free to their staff, so they might do like healthy hump day or something and get it once a week. Um, once a month, and then others just subsidize little snacks for $2 and get their staff to pay for them. And some get them for events, actually corporate events as well, like little pop-up snack stations for corporate events.
1: And I saw you've got this really clearly laid out on your website. Given it's a, it's a kind of a B2B offer, do you have to do a lot in terms of advertising and promotions?
0: I mean, I'm like, still now trying to figure out what's the best spend in money. Like I've just sunk a lot of money in Getting digital agencies to do Google AdWords, AdWords campaigns and like not getting much back from that. So now looking at like getting sales reps on board to just do cold calling and visiting and things like that. Um, I'm doing like sample boxes, all all of that sort of thing, posting on LinkedIn here and there. But it's really a lot of just like reaching out to people, um, trying to get them at the right time and being really persistent. <laughs> um, I think the hard thing is now if like I'm just trying to do so much that can't focus on everything so that's why I need some people sort of in the sales side of things to help support me within that so they can just really go hard at it.
1: Yeah you've still got those gatekeepers you need to kind of get through don't you to get to the consumers at the other end. Looking back what do you think what kind of skills or capabilities do you think you've needed the most to help you on your food startup journey?
0: Oh that's a good question. Um, I would probably say definitely resilience because Like you say, sometimes you're feeling like you're just banging your head against a brick wall trying to get through to these companies. And also, like forecasting and and snack, like the inventory management and the logistics side of it. Like, I don't have a lot of experience in that. And any startup businesses, like being able to build relationships with people is, is so important because even like those guys that helped me out with the warehousing, they did me such favor and I didn't even know them. You know, but I think I must have somehow (laughs) connected with them early on to gain that trust. And also, yeah, just hustling, just like finding the opportunity to do stuff (laughs) and going for it. I love it.
1: And for you, would you ever consider going back to corporate now? Could you ever not be your own boss again?
0: I don't know. I think like I have this, like these thoughts in my head, like every day. Like some days I'm like super stoked with life, and then other days I'm like, oh my God who just want to run away. <laughs> I do love it, but then sometimes you just don't want the responsibility, you know? You just want to just not think about things for a little bit. You're having all that sort of weight on your shoulders. Like, I'm actually developing a few of my own snack lines at the moment, so that's a whole nother thing, like, based on gaps that I've seen in the market. Um, but, but I think, it was just even having like a stable income, <laughs> to be honest, I miss that. <laughs>
1: And that leads beautifully into my next question, which is, you know, I can already hear you've got expansion plans and where do we go next with the business? But, you know, how, how high is up for you? What, what are you sort of your future vision for, for what Snack Proud becomes?
0: Like my real passion is um, in product innovation. Like I have so many of my own snack ideas that I would love to bring to market. So that's kind of where I'd like to go next is actually build equity in my brand, with my products. I can see opportunities in other channels outside of corporate for these sorts of products.
1: You know, as you've been going through this this startup journey and building your own business, what have sort of your friends and family around you been saying?
0: Um, Yeah, well, my parents are great. Um, Like in my last business, they bought a 25% share and my mum pretty much like ran all the orders and accounts like while doing her full-time job. So, kudos to her and like this time she's like, okay, I'm not doing this business, dad has to do this one. So now my dad's doing all the accounts on this one. And, like, kind of at the point where I said I decided to stop last April, um, I just didn't know what to do. And, my, and me and my parents, like, even though they've always been like, why do you need to do these businesses, Ashley? You've got a good corporate job, blah, blah, blah. And But they, they were both encouraging me to just to go for the business because they're like, this is you. Like, you you have always wanted to do this. You just have to give it a go.
1: Oh, cutest as you say, to your mum and dad. I love that they're taking turns in supporting you and being put to work.
0: I must say, my friends are really supportive, like, definitely. But I think it's just harder because it's, like, you know, they're still earning their, like, good corporate wages and I'm now, like, on this really tiny startup wage. And so just being, like, you know, going out and doing weekend plans or just, like, going for a casual weekend, like, away somewhere or on a holiday, you are like, like you know, before I could have just, I could have easily just done any of those things. But, like, now I, I don't really have those same opportunities at moments. But I guess that's the sacrifice that you have to make.
1: Yes, and you're probably judging, should that dollar go back into the business, what else could I do by investing that money back in? So it is time to wrap this up now, Ashley. My last question for you is, where can businesses who would be interested in your delicious and healthy snack boxes or other services, where could they find out more about your products, your services, and connect with you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um Probably on that website would be good. Um, All my contact information is on there. And, you know, I'd love to talk to anyone or come in for an office visit. I love just going into offices and meeting with people that genuinely care about the health of their people and wanting to, like, actually make their make the food offerings in the workplace sort of fuel productivity.
1: And that website is snackproud.com.au and I am going to put those links in the show notes for anyone who wants to find you and chat to you and look at your products and services. Look, thank you so much for sharing your story with us this morning. It's always inspiring to hear people on their journeys and um, this feels like a really interesting, unique, big opportunity for you and I just wish you every success in the future.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for the opportunity to speak today.
1: Uh, it's been it's been absolutely my pleasure. So take care and thank you so much. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This part of the podcast is when I think back on my chat with Ashley Whitaker from Snack Proud and reflect on one secret of success from her startup story. Now, in solving a personal problem, having access to healthy snacks at work, Ashley recognised a bigger opportunity, and that was to supply a range of nutritious and healthier snack options, not just for herself, but also for her work colleagues. When faced with a similar situation, many food entrepreneurs, like myself, might be tempted to simply make a new snack product. I mean, we do love shiny new things after all, but Ashley realized that there were already many amazing and healthy snack options available. In fact, she saw an abundance of these herself when she went to the food expos. No, Ashley realized the bigger issue to solve was getting those snacks into offices in the first place where employees really needed them. In creating Snack Proud, Ashley actually created a new distribution channel. She became a distributor of healthy snacks that are carefully selected and sourced to ensure they're better for you. And these are not her own products. Well, not yet anyway. They're from local or boutique or small businesses, unable or unwilling to supply to mass grocery stores. Now, some might say that this startup was an easy leap for Ashley. She's been a food entrepreneur previously and has a natural tendency to want to be her own boss. Just ask her mum and dad. However, becoming a food distributor and stockist, well, that was in fact a whole new business for Ashley and one she had to learn her way through. And to do this, she used a classic tool of innovation and that is prototyping. So today, I'd like to talk about prototyping and how to use it to sense check a new business opportunity quickly, easily, and more more importantly for startups, cheaply. A prototype is a basic, tangible representation of your idea that makes it testable. The aim is to find the simplest and cheapest way you can to bring your idea to life so that your consumers might be able to touch it or taste it, smell it, feel it, or experience it. Now, testing a prototype is a great way to discover the weaknesses and strengths of your idea very quickly. That way, you can improve it or lose it before you spent too much time, effort and resources on it. In fact, the longer you wait to test an idea, the more you've invested in it, which means it becomes so expensive when it fails. I've seen some businesses wait so long to bring an idea to life and invest so much time and effort in making it so that it's nearly perfect that they become so wedded to the idea and don't even want to hear how it might or might not succeed. Or worse, they run out of time and they're forced to launch what they have without ever getting the opportunity to identify what should have been improved first. So the key idea with prototyping is to do it as early as you can so that you can learn and fail easily and cheaply. Now I get it. No one likes that word fail and no one likes to do it. In fact, I'm seeing it flies in the face of what I hear in a lot of businesses, this principle of get it right first time. I could honestly not loathe that expression more because of the unrealistic expectation it creates. It's the very antithesis of an innovation mindset. No one gets it right first time. And when they do, what they do get right is a very safe, done before and predictable thing. That's not innovation in my mind. Most of us have been hardwired to avoid failing through our formal schooling and working lives. However, it's a crucial part of the learning process for innovation. In fact, my daughter's school has a great acronym for the word FAIL. First attempt in learning. Now, that's just such a better mindset that will help you when you're trying to prototype. So let's talk about how Ashley applied the principles of prototyping. Simple. It was, in fact, her very first action. She didn't like the snacks available in her office kitchen, so she ordered a heap of products online through wholesalers, put them in a box, and left them out for her work colleagues to buy. That was her prototype. In putting out a really basic selection of snacks, Ashley quickly learnt many things that she had to address as her business progressed. For example, lesson one. Ashley had to maintain minimum order quantities from snack suppliers, which was more than she could put out in one single go. So she had to find storage options and stashed her extra products in the very accommodating Macquarie Banks mailroom. Lesson number two, replenishment and setup of the snack boxes was critical, but office staff were too busy to do this themselves. So initially, Ashley needed her box supplier to pack product into the boxes and a driver to deliver and set them up. Lesson number three, Ashley learned that people don't carry a lot of cash around anymore. And if they do, it's usually not the right denomination to buy a snack. She needed a self-operating electronic payment system. So she's creating a digital honesty box app to overcome that challenge. Lesson number four, it was hard to get into office kitchens. Ashley learnt that buying snacks was often somebody's unwanted task or it was really heavily regulated with tenders. So she needed a range of service to suit every different office needs, such as a one-off purchase of a charity or event box, uh, ongoing company-funded boxes of varying sizes, or full kitchen support for those businesses who wanted one supplier to do their snacks, fruit, and milk supplies. And remember how Ashley said she had to personally carry those beautiful but extremely heavy wooden display boxes to other businesses in her lunch break? What a great way to learn quickly that the box the snacks are in need to be light and transportable, which is what her cardboard boxes are today. At every stage of her journey, Ashley did a little and learnt a lot that helped her optimise the opportunity and turn it into a viable and unique business to satisfy her customers' needs. So, how do you prototype? Well, three key steps. First, you start by identifying the variables you need to test. If it's a product, that might be the taste its size, packaging, the design, its name or the ingredients used. Don't even wait until you've ordered the ingredients and done the Benchmade samples. Just get a picture, write some words and start sharing it as soon as possible with consumers to see what they like or don't like about the idea. If you have lots of ideas that you want to sense check early on, it's so much easier to rewrite a word or try a new picture or mention some different ingredients rather than have to make up a whole new set of product samples. The second key step is to create a tangible representation of your idea and get that in front of consumers fast. If you've got a business model or a service you want to test – You can even make that tangible very quickly and very cheaply. I've seen mobile app developers use hand drawings on post-it notes to show the click-through sequence that outlines the content and the flow of a new mobile app. I've also seen potential cafe owners mock up layouts with outdoor furniture and watch people navigate through it to see if they've got the layout right. Step number three in testing a prototype. Finally, you need to watch, listen, and learn attentively when you're sharing a prototype with consumers to really understand what works and what doesn't. The secret here is not to sell your prototype, but genuinely let consumers experience it themselves and offer feedback on how it could be improved. Now, the hardest thing of all about prototyping is actually to overcome your own natural tendency to want to create something perfect before showing it to anyone but actually people are much more likely to give honest and helpful feedback to rough work in progress than beautifully polished or finished ideas. They seem to just intuitively understand that there's still time to build and improve on it when it's a rough prototype and therefore they'll be more likely to give you feedback to help you do that. If you'd like to learn more about prototyping and how to sense check ideas with consumers, it's on page 144 of my book, Innovation Feast, How to Create New Ideas to Feed Your Hungry Business. And I'll put links in the show note to this. And speaking of the book, I just wanted to take a moment, I don't do this often, to um, shout out a big thank you to anyone who has bought it, downloaded it and read it. I just heard that it achieved number one bestseller status on Amazon Australia in its business class and is in the top 10 in Amazon in the US. So many thanks everyone who helped make that possible. I hope it's inspired you to go onwards and upwards and made your business more innovative. Well, that's it for this episode. Many thanks to my guest, Ashley Whitaker of Snack Proud, for sharing her story with us today. And thank you for continuing to listen. Join me next time to eat, drink and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from.